Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The Get Rich Slow Club podcast is a collaboration between Tash Etchman from Tash Invest and Anna Christina from Perla. The Get Rich Slow Club acknowledges the traditional custodians of the land we record on. From coast to coast, across land, waters and communities, we pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging. Any advice is general and does not consider your financial situation, needs or objectives. So consider whether it's appropriate for you. Welcome to the Get Rich Slow Club podcast, where we take you from beginner to confident investor, where we can teach you everything you need to know about investing. So come get rich slow with us. Today, we are joined by Hannah Richards, also known as the Wealthy Empath Online. Hannah currently has her own business as a money coach, helping millennial women to negotiate salaries, save and overcome emotional spending. She also works with couples, helping them to implement cash flow plans and manage all their different expenses. Prior to this, Hannah worked in corporate finance while navigating her own personal finance journey. We're super excited to have Hannah on today. We talked lots about budgeting and if you're thinking about your own budget, this is definitely an episode you don't want to miss. We also talked about switching from a nine to five job to having your own business. So lots of good information in there too. We are super excited to get into today's episode, but first let's do our money wins and money losses. Do you have one for us today, Anna? Yes. So I canceled the Woolies Everyday Reward. I talked about it a couple episodes ago where I thought it was really awesome because you got 10% off on your online shopping and 10% off in-store shopping, but they just increased the price from $59 to $70 and they removed the ability to get the 10% off on online shopping, which was the whole reason I loved it. I know there was a lot of outrage online Mm -hmm. that I saw in some of the Facebook groups. So I canceled it and currently I'm just enjoying my savings at Aldi. The Coles rewards are the way to go in my opinion. (laughs) Oh, are you a Coles person? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have to pay for the Coles rewards one? No, you don't pay. We get like $50 off about every month from savings. It just automatically applies. Is that like the flybys one or is it Yeah, flybys, flybys, yeah. Okay. I do like flybys. Yeah. Going to have to investigate where the best savings are, so. Aldi, probably Aldi. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 
Hannah, did you have a win or a loss for us this week? Yes. So we decided to, you know how you can have big junk drawers at home full of like old cables and technology. So we had a local e-waste collection near our place. So we've gone through this box full of random technology, old junk, and I found an old digital camera and I was going to chuck it on the e-waste and I thought, you know what, maybe on the off chance people still use digital cameras. So I've listed it on Marketplace for $100. I was like, oh, I might not get any takers. I had 10 people message me in about five minutes. Oh, nice. Um, Yeah, a girl came over within half an hour and she was absolutely stoked, thrilled, paid me 100 bucks for it. So it was a huge money win. Yeah. For something that I didn't think I would be able to pass along. Yeah, it was a huge win (laughs) just from like an e-waste sort of recycling point of view. Yeah, that's so cool. Yeah. There's so much money to be made from just decluttering. Yes. (laughs) I'm always so put off by marketplace and just like having to message people and organize stuff. But then I hear stories like that. I'm like, okay, cool. I have to get back into it. (laughs) Yeah, it was super easy. Yeah, it was good. That's awesome. Um, my one of the month or the week, I guess, is I signed back up to class pass, which is like a way you can access gym classes, like all around Australia. And when you join again, they give you like two weeks free. So I've got like three reformer classes for free, which is really cool. Oh, Cause nice. if you're paying like individually wow. for reformer classes, they're like 35, $40 in Sydney, especially. So it's been a big win. Oh, Tash, that probably tops my hundred bucks camera then. <laughs> Just, yeah, no, your, your camera's cool. Yeah. <laughs> I'd love to start with your personal finance journey. What made you want to start investing and how did you actually get started? Yeah, great question. So I feel like with investing, there's uh, we have to have this belief that it's going to be um, positive and good, but for so many people, it seems scary, right? And um, so for me, I had an influence growing up of my grandfather um, who used to talk talk about how he would invest in stocks and have investments, but he would actually use his money very generously. Like I had a real positive influence from seeing the way that he was able to have his free time, but also use his money very generously. So he would sponsor sort of underprivileged people or even be able to get things for my family and uh, other family members that we wouldn't usually be able to afford. So I had this really positive influence um, of wealth creation and investing in what it could provide. And so at the same time, though, I was also going through in high school. So this would be, what, 15 years ago now. (laughs) Uh, It was going through the global financial crisis. And so I also had this perspective that if you don't understand your money and your personal finance, you're at real risk of being sort of not treated right by by bankers and people who actually do know more than you do, you know, because there's this information asymmetry. So it was a combination of those factors that made me want to learn more and start investing. So that's how I that's that's how I got started. Yeah, it's really good seeing money as a tool and a resource in that way. Like it's such a good mindset to have. Mm, yeah, exactly. Think about what it actually brings. Yeah. Yeah. And it's such an interesting time to start getting interested as well during the global financial crisis. Like, I know a lot of people started investing during COVID and it was a bit like it was doing really well and then it dropped. So it's an interesting time to like get involved in the market. Yeah, exactly. Um, It obviously didn't scare me off. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. What was your first investment? So (laughs) interesting you asked that. My first investment was this 30 cent penny stock stock tip that my grandfather had given my family because back then that was 10 years ago you know that's how people invested so I put my money into it and as I started learning more about investing it was a few years later and I thought 
what am I even, I realized like, what am I investing in? This is totally not right for me. I'm young. I'm in my twenties. Why do I have my money invested in some penny stock? <laughs> so I got out of that. <laughs> my journey progressed onwards. I always feel like penny stocks are what old people invested. Yeah. You know, like, I, I don't know why I always hear those yeah. stories of people in penny stocks. I don't know anybody who's under the age of, I don't know, 70 who, <laughs> who invest in penny stocks. So I love that that was your first investment. I I know. I know. And I, I took, it, yeah, it, it's, I mean, for, for anyone who doesn't know what a penny stock is, it's basically some company that's not even earning income yet. They're worth about 30 cents on the stock market. And it's completely, you don't even know if they're going to be able to make a profit in the next few years. Like it's very risky. Did you make any money from it? Uh, I would say I broke even. I sold okay. it for almost a win. I, well, yeah. <laughs> it pretty much went down after I sold it. So okay. good timing. <laughs> yeah. Can you give us an overview of your investing strategy now? Does it still involve penny stocks or have you moved on to other things? <laughs> I have no penny stocks. <laughs> no penny stocks. Great. <laughs> no, I removed the emotion out of my investing in my money and moved on to more of a diversified ETFs and long-term long-term strategy. I have an investment property as well. So I'm putting more extra money into the, into the offset account at the moment with interest rates being high. But yeah, it's more of a um, set and forget type of strategy now. No more penny stocks. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. <laughs> and you were working in corporate finance before, is that right? Yes, that's correct. And how did you find that in relation to, I guess, your financial journey? Did it did it allow you to to learn more about personal finance and interest you? Or how did how does that kind of fit into your whole story? Yeah, it's I've never reflected on that before, but it's a good question. It's funny because in my job, I was managing millions and billions of dollars in projects and you'd have a spreadsheet and it would say the number 10, but it's actually in millions or billions. So I think it actually sort of gave me this perspective that money is just numbers and on a on a sheet of paper. And so building my own investments, I, I never felt that was so scary or like too much money to handle. I think because I had this experience in corporate finance of money just being a tool that you can play with the numbers and assess the risks and set yourself up. So I've actually never reflected on that before about how that would have played <laughs> into my own personal finance journey. Yeah. And then you eventually left and now you started your own money coaching bid business, which congratulations. Um, that's a huge accomplishment. Thank you. Um, yeah. How did you set yourself up financially to manage this transition? I know it's really hard to kind of move from a steady income into something that kind of maybe is a little bit more fluid. Mm, yes. Great question. I think it can be something that needs to be thought about many months in advance before you make the jump. So when it comes to kind of building a business or making a transition, the one thing that I've learned is it's always sort of a trade-off between time and money. Um, so you, you need to learn to be the master of, of both. And so while I was in my nine to five, I was more time poor. So I really then used my money to get as much um, time back as I could, get a VA to help me out. And so what I realized is, okay, as I be able to transition into um, full-time business owner, I need to then be the master of managing my money even more so than I was um, when I was in my corporate role. So it was around actually making sure that I have the numbers calculated for like what are my base expenses that I need to be covering when I quit, make sure I have three months worth saved up of those and then be able to map out gradually giving myself more time back 
potentially less money, but then being able to build that up. So I dropped down at work to four days and then managed my money around that and then three days and then was able to go full-time in the business uh, because I had a buffer saved up. I also got um, specialized income protection insurance as well while I was in my job. So that that was an added factor. But yeah, really made sure that I had a good system for my managing my money before I took the leap because as soon as you become a business owner... <laughs> Yeah, it's a lot. System. Yeah, that's yeah. Right. I feel like I had a similar journey where I worked part time for a little bit before I quit completely, and that kind of helped with the transition. So it wasn't such a big leap from one thing to the other. Yes. Can you share how you're actually budgeting now on your variable income? Yeah. So I mean, I think it's a good question about variable income because even I coach a lot of clients who maybe the some are business owners, but then some may be OTs or freelancers. There's a lot of jobs out there that we are earning um, different income every every pay. So what I say is the thing that's helped me the most is not letting it become emotional. So anytime money feels emotional, it's a chance to like jump back in and try and change something. So if we have ups and downs, like we've got more income one period, less income the next period, it's a quick way that money's going to feel emotional. So what I do now is set myself a regular salary that I can pay myself even clients who might have ups and downs, we set an average level that they are able to pay themselves. And then they have a separate account that, you know, the extra money, if they do earn above that average, just sits in, in a pool. And so then that can build up as an extra buffer. Um, for me as well, it's an extra buffer in business, but I still pay myself now a regular salary, salary so that it doesn't have to feel so many ups and downs along the way. Mm, just smoothing it out yourself instead of yeah. having a job do that for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. I think that's probably the biggest, scariest part about starting your own business. Like how do you manage your own money? And if you're not good at it, what are the things that you can kind of put in place so that your business succeeds and you're not also stressing about money and growing a business at the same time? Because I could only imagine how challenging that would be to be like, I have to pay the bills or I don't have enough money, but I also have to grow my business and get clients. And if I don't get clients, I don't get paid. And that kind of whirlwind of being stressed about finances is is one of the scariest and hardest things that people have to navigate. And what was that study from Princeton about how when you're experiencing financial distress or stressful times, yeah, your IQ drops by an average of 13 points, which I think is pretty wild. So if you like put yourself in that situation, you're going to make the best decisions that you would have if you were in like a secure financial position. Yeah. It uses that part of that brain where it's like fight or flight. You can't think about long-term decisions. And that's why financial stress is something that often a lot of people in poverty or low income earners have. And people often will say, well, you know, plan for the future or save, you know, for the rainy day. And it's like, they can't get past the day to day because of the way our brains are wired, right? Like our brains are so stressed that they have to manage that first part of budgeting, which, which I think Hannah, you, you talked about so lovely in terms of how you've kind of smoothed that out to think about navigating that space as you transition. Cause to me, that just sounds like such a hard time in a lot of new business owners' lives. Yes, exactly. It is. What you've described is this sensational feeling of feeling overwhelmed um, and stressed because you've got so many balls to juggle and the natural transition is to go, okay, I just need more money, isn't it? As Mm -hmm. soon as we're stressed about finances, it's okay, I need to go out and get more clients or I need more money or I need more work, I need more jobs, whatever it is sort of to feel like we need more money. But if we're in that overwhelmed stress place, the deeper emotion there is fear. And fear is fear of something that we don't know, right? If if you're usually scared of a spider or whatever it is, because you don't know how it's going to affect you. So something that you're 
you're scared of because we don't know. So what can we do? What do we need to know so that we don't feel that fear anymore? And often it is that it involves then having the data and the information to be able to go, okay, how many clients do I need to be able to pay or how much work do I need to be able to pay that base level of expenses? How many months of a buffer do I have saved up? And also then be able to like track the amount of work or track that income that you've got coming in. So you actually have all of the information that you need um, so that you don't have to feel that fear based emotion anymore. Yeah, absolutely. I've heard you mention somewhere that you follow the profit first method and I've heard great things about it. Can you explain what this is and how it's worked for you? Yes, profit first. So it's sort of like the barefoot investor, but for business owners. Oh, it's a good yes. summary. Yeah. <laughs> so... I'm big into risk mitigation in case, which is, you know, avoiding risk, I guess, is is a personality trait. So for me, I tried to learn as much going into business, tried to learn as many, hear as many stories as I could around how businesses have failed or, or the struggles that people have faced so that I can sort of avoid them as I go. So two of the big ones that, I, that I've heard is a lot of stories around burnout. And also a lot of stories around businesses not being profitable. So Profit First talks about the fact that many people can build successful businesses and they might not be profitable. And what, what that means is they might be able to say, I have a million dollar business, but they're actually, their expenses are almost a million dollars as well, right? So inevitably it ends up, maybe they've got a lot of debt. So inevitably it ends up with a lot of financial stress. Um, and often that can lead to 90% of businesses fail because of cash flow problems. So managing your cash flow is one of the most important things that you can do as a business owner. So the Profit First system basically talks about how if you set yourself up with your income and split it into different percentages when you receive your income, uh, you can set yourself up with a system so that you've got structure around your money. So money doesn't have to become a decision that you're spending time thinking about every time, every day. You've actually got structure in place and it just becomes a habit. So you set up different percentages, um, you know, 5% of your income can go to profits, 30% go to expenses, 50% go to paying yourself, and um, you put money away for GST and tax. So it sets you up with this really easy structure that can become a habit over time and means you don't have to stress about your business finances. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, it's awesome. Because <laughs> we talk here about automating your investing and your like everyday cash flow, but automating your business stuff as well makes heaps of sense. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It just, it just gets you into that rhythm. So it just becomes a subconscious habit or behavior. So you get used to it. It's not all this, this unexpected or you've got to make decisions around what happens or be very reactive, right? It's a, it's more of a proactive stance to take. Yeah. Yeah. And I see a lot of people on Instagram, especially setting lots of revenue goals where they're like, I want to mm. earn like 10K a month, but it's like, okay, cool. But how much of that is actually profit and how much are you actually paying yourself from that? Yes, exactly. And what are the expenses, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even myself, when I first implemented it, it really made me go through and question the expenses that I had and with what I actually really needed. Especially when you add GST onto things as well and you're automatically like losing yeah. tax set and you're like, oh, great. <laughs> exactly. Awesome. Exactly. GST Your and tax. Your tax bucket. Yeah. <laughs> mm. I know. Yeah, I definitely struggled with GST when I first like transitioned to this stuff and I was like, this does not make sense in my brain. Like I, I feel like I'm getting all the money, but I'm really not. I know. And it, it, even the per hour, because I know Tash, you, you came from OT background, so you might've been more used to like a per hourly type rate, but for me going from corporate. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I was sort of, when I first started, I think I was charging, you know, 40 to $60 a session because I was thinking, oh, okay, that's about how much per hour I should earn, you know? And since then I've had to learn, no, but then you have to put, put on the time that you've spent learning your skills and the time that you may have to spend with an admin and then also the GST and the tax, which are huge components. So it's not actually. Yeah. And then all the software and all the marketing time. Yeah, and I remember exactly. my job as well. Like I keep referring back to this with some of my friends, but when I was an OT, I used to spend so much time laminating and that was like <laughs> nice time where I would get paid my hourly rate, but I would laminate for an hour or two, like every few days. And in my own business, I don't have that same time. And I kind of figure out that it's not comparable. Like you're trying to make all of your time profitable or really productive, but you're not going to pay yourself a hundred dollars an hour to sit there and laminate things. Yeah. (laughs) And I would assume it's also harder as a business owner to know your own worth, right? Like in the corporate world, or at least for me, I know how, how other people get paid. So I know exactly in relation to other people, there's websites like Glassdoor or on LinkedIn where you can see how many, how much other people are charging, how much they're getting paid for a similar position. But when you're a business owner, it's a completely different ball game. You might not actually know a lot of other people who are, you know, with your same expertise or your background or your knowledge or who you've worked with. So how do you know how to charge people? Um, what are, what is some of your experience around that? Like knowing your own self-worth within a business? Mm, yeah. So I think you have to do the work on, on self-worth and what it is that you can provide and bring. So often we feel, okay, all I'm bringing is an hour of my time, but we actually have to make a conscious effort of writing down, yeah, but what are all of the sort of training and experience and skills that I'm also bringing to this hour that I have invested in? And in the other respect, it's also when you're an expert, whether you're a freelancer, whether a business owner, if you're an expert in your area, the value that you receive from your hour of time, you might think, okay, uh, uh, this is not a lot of value to me. But for someone else who isn't an expert who wants to come and get that help, it's actually immensely valuable for them. So you, you kind of have to put yourself into their shoes and think about it from their point of view, the, the client or the customer's point of view. But it's actually more so how much value are they receiving? And then if that feels uncomfortable to you, that's when you do the work on your self-worth and go, okay, why why don't I feel um, like I could charge that? So I sort of say, start from putting yourself in the shoes of the client or customer, especially for a lot of freelancers, for example, and they're working on it. I mean, even Tash, you know, you're working with corporations. So you may feel, or even wealthy individuals, they've got a lot more disposable income or cash or budgets that they can use. 
So you really have to step outside yourself and put yourself in their shoes when setting your prices and the value. Yeah, that I've really struggled yeah. with this, like going from being an OT or like in healthcare where you get that same hourly rate and you know you're worth to getting to actually charge people and trying to negotiate with people. And especially with social media, it's really hard to step back and be like, actually, there's like three years of work that's gone into building the social platform that I have and I should charge based on that. But when I look at it, I'm like, oh, is one TikTok really worth that much money? And it's a very interesting like mindset shift to be like, no, this information is helpful and they are advertising and how much would they actually pay for a Facebook ad or something like that that's comparable. But it's definitely like a huge mindset mindset shift. Exactly. I was going to say, it reminds me of that artist analogy where people will argue, you, you only took an hour to paint that or draw that. But really, it took a lifetime to gain those skills, to have that skill set where you can create a masterpiece. And similarly, I think to business owners, freelancers who have a skill set that is very specific to to their customers' needs or their clients' needs, it, it needs to be compensated accurately, right? Yeah. I like to go back to like, am I, if I was a corporate business person, like how much would they charge for this? Because even my yeah. OT rate was 240 an hour, which is insane for some of the stuff that I was doing, but we just had to charge it. Whereas now I'm charging like 200 dollars an hour for money coaching stuff and my brain is like oh my god that's so much yeah. but I was like fine billing people for 240 an hour for me to go play you know with them and do some like psychology stuff yeah yeah exactly I see it show up even in the workplace even for employees to negotiate your salary like you sort of get in this easy comfort zone of saying oh but I'm doing what the job role entitles like I'm giving them the value that they've asked for but it's the same concept that we need to recognize of, okay, but put myself into their shoes. If I wasn't here, how much would they need to be paying to get a new staff member on board? How much would I be need to be giving this? That's why they give you promotions and pay rises, or maybe they don't, but you need to be asking for them, right? <laughs> you need to be advocating for them because if you weren't there, they would be paying more. I remember when I switched jobs and they said to me, whatever you were earning before, we'll give you five grand more. Like they, they pay more to get people who've moved from another company, right? So you need to be making sure that you're you're matching that and staying ahead. It's the fastest way to increase your income. If you jump ship every 18 to months to, you know, two years, it's the fastest way you'll, you'll grow your income in the corporate world. I wish that, yeah. that piece of advice, I wish someone told me when I graduated university, <laughs> yeah. I would have made way more money faster <laughs> had I done that. So that's the, the one one thing that yeah. I would, I wish I could go back in time and tell little me yeah. <laughs> to do. Because it's true. The referral, the referral bonuses as well. I know at my old job, like people thought they couldn't negotiate, but they were paying 10 grand because they were a bit short staffed as a referral bonus just for the person who referred someone who got a job. So it's like insane that people wouldn't ask for the 10 grand pay rise, but the company was just handing that out to try and hire people. Oh. That's not even considering how much time they spend on HR and the hiring person and all the training as well. So it's wild. It's a huge amount of money that goes into hiring new staff or recruiting, right? Like to find a new employee. So if they can retain you, especially at a cheaper wage because you haven't jumped ship, um, why wouldn't they do that? So jumping, going to another, yeah. Let's do a whole episode on pay rises. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Them. I could go on and on about this, just working in that space for so long, but yeah. I'd love to talk a little bit about money coaching. First off, what what is a money coach and what do they do? Yes, yeah, so Tash and I now are both into the money coaching space, which is amazing. There needs to be so, so many more of them in Australia. So essentially what they do is the word, think about the word coach. 
right? So a coach is someone that is going to be there to give you support and a safe space for you to be able to talk about the problems that you're having. It's someone who is going to have a major focus on goal setting and talking through what are actually, you know, smart, specific goals and what are the steps that we need to take in order to get you there? What are some of the obstacles that are going to arise and how can we navigate those? And how can we be accountable to the goals um, that we have set up? So there's lots of different then subcategories or different styles that different money coaches use depending on whether they're, you know, focusing on the emotions or specifically the numbers, but that's kind of the crux of it. Yeah. And what are some of the the common challenges you see people facing on their personal uh, finance journey as a money coach? Yeah. So the challenges that I had six months ago was very different than the conversations that I'm having today. So it shows that depend. it really is largely based on what the economy is doing. Um, so at the moment, I'm having a lot of conversations with potential clients or um, conversations with people around the, obviously the interest rates is the biggest one right now and cost of living. So what I'm finding is that all of a sudden, and I see this all of the time, when you actually have you know, your income and expenses, if you were to increase every one of your expenses just by 1%, for example, all of a sudden, it doesn't feel like a lot, but the fact that all of them go up, it actually then makes a huge difference to the overall, you know, what you've got left at the end of the day, which is what I'm seeing right now. Like six months ago, if you, if I took people's expenses from the last six months, it's, it's all just increased. And so it has this major effect that all of a sudden it feels like, wait, we've got no money left at the end of the paycheck anymore because it's just, yeah, every area of expenses have gone up. Especially when people are coming off their fixed rates as well. Like that's such a big chunk of money people are now having to pay. And I've heard of so many people not preparing for that rate rise or not knowing exactly how much it's going to be. And all of a sudden they're paying like a thousand or two thousand dollars more a month that they just don't have yet. And energy bills and food, everything has gone up and that it's compounding. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you definitely need, if you're a mortgage holder, definitely get yourself a mortgage broker that will contact you several months before a situation like that so that you can start getting a plan in place. Or just ask to be reassessed and see if you can get a lower mortgage rate. Like you might not be able to, but asking, there's no harm in asking for a lower rate if you can get one. Or playing around with the calculators and just seeing how much it's going to be and practicing living and putting that money away before it gets to that point and finding out where you're going to actually take that money from. 100%. Yeah. That's the best thing you can do at the moment. How to save and budget is a popular topic with the rising cost of living. What are some budgeting methods that you teach your clients? Yeah, so the rising cost of living means that at the moment, what I'm doing is a first pass assessment of where is the balance of the of someone's expenses. So I don't know if you guys have heard, you probably have of the 50, 50, 30, 20 sort of budget allocations. So what this talks about is about 50% of your income goes towards um, needs and obligations, 30% towards wants and 20% towards savings. And the majority of the time that I have a client kind of talk to me about how they're feeling around money, whether it's I feel really stretched on a day-to-day basis, um, I feel like all my money's going to bills or I feel like I'm not saving, whenever I dive into this balance, it always shows me the numbers of what's happening, how they feel emotionally, if that makes sense. So often if they're feeling like they're not saving, it's because they don't have 
20% of their money going towards their savings. Or if they're feeling like, oh, I'm just not having enough like on a day-to-day basis, it's because when I dive into it, 70% of their money is going towards their needs and obligations because we've got really high mortgage repayments and car debt, car loans or debt and debts. Um, so the numbers always tell the story. So it's a f- bit of a first pass sort of check that I do. And then what do you do after that? So let's say it is a little bit out of whack because prices have gotten more expensive for <laughs> whether it's your mortgage or food or so forth, how do you help adjust their budgeting? Yes, exactly. So every client so far, it is so easy to be able to bring that needs and obligations part down. The moment that I run through it or that you run through it and you start to review, am I actually getting the cheapest provider of bills? Am I paying my mortgage you know, fortnightly or weekly so I can save on the interest there? Am I really needing the top level of health insurance at the moment? Like it actually becomes pretty easy, pretty quickly to be able to, if you've never sort of done any of that analysis before or review before, to be able to go in and bring bring yourself down to the 50% needs and obligations just by sort of doing that review. I can get really overwhelming when you're looking at it yourself and not stepping back and seeing the whole picture. Like I've kind of had friends who are really stressed because they've got this really hectic car loan, but it's like a $60,000 car that they don't need. And when they step back and really think about it, they're like, okay, I'll buy a $20,000 car, pay off my car loan, and then think about that in a few years time. But in the middle of it, they're like, oh my God, this is so overwhelming. There's no way out. I have no choice. When they step back, they're actually like, oh, I do have these things and I can take these steps. Yes, 100%. Because you go to get the car loan and they'll say, you know, the finances say, you can afford this. And so you kind of, especially if it's your first time, you go into it and you're like, okay, well, an expert has told me that I'm able to afford this. It should be okay. But exactly then it comes down to it and you're actually realizing that you're getting paid and all of this huge chunk of money is coming out. You don't have a lot of flexibility um, or much left for your day-to-day spending. It comes down to that financial literacy, right? Like if you don't know, if you're if you're buying your first house and you, you're, you're pre-approved for a certain amount, you might think, hey, like I can totally afford this because no one's really advocating for you, right? The banks want you to spend more money. The banks, you know, the, the car dealership wants you to be in a loan because they make more money off of you. So having someone else like a, a money coach or a friend to be able to help you out, help you take a step back and be like, do, can I really afford this? What are the things that I can do? Can I sell that car and downsize because I don't really need a six, 60,000, oh my gosh, $60,000 car or that's whatever it is. Thing, all the four-wheel drive yeah. impact. Yeah, it is. Yeah. I was like, wow, that's very expensive. No. I mean, it's like everyone has a Hilux or something in Perth. Like it's just the thing. Uh, it is. Yeah. Someone asked me the other day, actually, are you very frugal with your money? I thought it was a good question. Um, My response was, no, I know sort of how much I don't have to concern myself so much over the day to day because I know roughly my habits are okay. So if I want to buy a coffee, I can. But what I do focus my time on is making sure that those bigger decisions are thought through, thought out. And I find that's the part that without that financial literacy that gets missed. And so you're concerned about buying a coffee today when actually we should be focusing on exactly as you said, Tash, like if a big decision comes up, taking the space and time to be able to get the financial literacy around it and um, be able to make a good decision with the big decisions without money. It's like you were saying with the emotional stuff, like stepping back and not making it emotional and taking the time to make a logical decision. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. I was actually going to talk about value. I think a part of it is also value, right? Like if you value that car and that car is really important for you, for your work, for your business, for your travel, for your safety, for your family, then that's very different than to someone else who might 
not need a car, right? Or, or someone who values that daily coffee. It comes back to what you value as well um, in terms of what falls under the needs that you need as well, right? I had a, yeah, exactly. I had a client um, earlier in the year and she said to me, okay, I want to get a car. And so we actually talked through what's the driver around that and made sure that is this coming from, you know, this is a more expensive car. And we talked through, is this coming from yourself and your own values and your own interests? Is it a self-led decision or is it an external led decision? And after we went through all of it and she really connected back to, yes, this is a self-led decision. I've always wanted it. I will actually be using it, as you said, Tash, for um, like road trips around WA. Like I can see I'll get a lot of use out of it. And so she f- did that first pass of like, yes, it is a self-led decision. It's not It's not an external um, sort of influence. And then we did the second step of the financial literacy piece, which is, okay, how much can we actually do within the, um, you know, the fi- all the financial literacy piece in terms of like fitting it into your budget and not having too much debt and actually exactly how much she could fit in to the budget in the debt, as well as taking into account like other goals that she had. Um, maybe she wants a house deposit. So do you really want to be spending all of the money on a car if you're also saving for a house deposit? And so then we able to find the sweet spot of exactly how much car repayments that she could pay. And then she went out armed with that information to find a car within that budget. Yeah. It's really important to kind of point out, I guess, that you can have all the things you want, just not all at once. And you do have to kind of sacrifice in some places. So like, yes, you can have the car, but you can't have the car and the house and the holidays and the nights out every weekend as well. It's kind of really prioritizing what you actually want. Yeah. hundred <laughs> percent. Exactly. But I want them all at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have any, any quick tips for our listeners when it comes to budgeting or thinking about their own budget? Yes, definitely. I mean, I could give hundreds, but I'll narrow it down to three. Uh, I mean, I've talked a lot today around the emotional aspects of money. So my first tip is like, if you do notice, if you are, if you are aware that money is feeling emotional for you right now, it's an indication that one, we need to step back, like Tasha said, and two, we need to get some figures and some data or even a structure in place so that money isn't feeling emotional for you. My second tip is absolutely do an annual review on your bills. I'm noticing more and more there's just a huge divide between if you're staying with Chelster right now, you're paying multiple hundreds of dollars more than, for example, moving to Audi Mobile, who also uses the Telstra network. It doesn't change your life at all, but you're saving hundreds Audi. of dollars. Yeah. I use Telstra. Oh, <laughs> what are you doing now? My- I, I'm, I, my partner works at Telstra, so we do get some credit. So oh, okay. it's, right. and also I live in a dead zone and it doesn't matter if you're on the Telstra, um, network, there are some dead zones that you can only get if you're on Telstra. Oh, okay. All right. Well, yeah. scrap this too. So that, that, <laughs> but I wasn't before. It. I wasn't, I wasn't before. <laughs> so yeah. And my third one is don't be afraid to get help. Like it can feel very, very lonely and isolating, not being able to talk about money and the stress that you feel under. And I feel like at the moment, because of cost of living, it's becoming a bit more normalized to talk about the stress that we're facing financially um, at a local coffee shop. But sometimes you kind of blow it off and you go, oh, okay, yeah, I'm feeling stressed, but you know, it'll pass or it'll get better or I just need some more money. But actually take a step back and if you need help, don't be ashamed to 
go and ask for. That last one is a really big one. I think there's a lot of shame around money because it's it can be a taboo topic to talk about, especially if you're in debt, especially if you're struggling, especially if you're stressed. So I think that that's a really good point. Um, just reaching out to a friend, talking to someone, reaching out to a money coach uh, is a great first step. And there's also um, financial counselors as well. If you are struggling yeah. that are free mm-hmm. to access, that's a really important one. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you for joining us. This is a great chat. If people want to go find you, where can they find you online? Yes. So the wealthy empath on Instagram, please send me a DM and I love to get into the chats and talk about personal finance and money. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you both for having me today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Awesome. Thanks so much for joining us. If you found this episode helpful, please rate us five stars, write a review, or share with a friend. If you're new to investing, make sure to listen to our first 10 episodes. Follow us at Get Rich Slow Club or Tash at Tash Invest or me at Anna Christina. This show was brought to you by Natasha Edgman, who is an authorized representative, 12-99881 of Guideway Financial Services, AFSL 420367 and Perla, who is an authorised representative, 1281540 of Sanlam Private Wealth, AFSL 337927. Knowledge is power, especially when it comes to investing. So make sure you check out our financial services guides and read the product disclosure statement and target market determination for any investments you're considering. See our show notes for more info. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.